Welcome to another episode on the Product Led Podcast. I am so excited to go through this with you today. We're going to be talking a lot about how to build a self-serve demand gen engine. And here I have an awesome host. I know I always say that, but this one is truly special. And Ship has a ton of experience building demand gen engines, companies like Wild Apricots, and he has helped so many other companies at How to SaaS really just build these super successful marketing engines. So Shit, welcome to the Product Led Podcast. Hey, Wes. Thanks for having me on. Excited to be here. Awesome. So could you share like maybe a quick 30 second highlight reel of like what got you into this when it comes to you basically build marketing engines for all these other private equity companies? <laughs> I'm curious what kind of got you into this first? Uh, my marketing journey starts early in, in the decade where I was focused on the internet marketing world and we were selling a ton of products online like informational products, courses and things like that and slowly transitioned to the software world before SaaS was cool. And I took over as a CMO of a company called Wild Apricot. And it quickly occurred to me that software businesses are built as sales companies first and marketing companies second. And I noticed that a ton of the things that we were doing in the internet marketing world were not yet common or adopted by SaaS companies in general. There were a couple of market leaders that were doing it. And uh, our business was out of Toronto. So Shopify was one of the only companies that was actually doing the right things. But the, outside of that, everybody was doing the SDR, BDR, AE type of playbook, which is a predictable revenue playbook. But very few companies were actually thinking about inbound lead gen, inbound demand gen, looking at uh, SEO, paid media, content marketing, thought leadership, nurture content, and all those types of avenues is actually growing their business. So that's kind of how we went to go to market at Wild Apricot. And we grew that to about 20 million in ARR without a sales team. And then in 2017, we got acquired by private equity. And through that process, the PE firm that bought us flipped us to a different private equity firm in 2018. And both private equity investors started pulling me into their other portfolio investments, saying like, what you guys have built is very exceptional and unique. And so can you bring that to our other B2B companies? And I would go into these businesses and I would notice that a lot of them are 50, $100 million in revenue in a lot of instances, but their marketing maturity was incredibly low. In fact, like you could have a $100 million company with maybe five marketers and the most amount of marketing that they're really doing is sales enablement, maybe some trade shows. But outside of that, no real demand gen work is actually happening. So I saw that as an opportunity and I started this business now, which is how to SaaS. And we work primarily with those private equity groups that are buying and selling software companies. And every time they buy a business, they'll bring us in to actually build out the marketing strategy for their portfolio companies and actually help them scale their demand gen a lot faster. And then depending on the type of business, our, obviously our, our recommendations look quite different. And as time has gone on, we've seen a ton of those different uh, situations. And I've put all of that together into my book as well, which is called Post-Acquisition Marketing. And it's about creating enterprise value after you buy a particular software business. Awesome. That was an epic intro. I feel like after listening to yours, I'm like, my intro is so bad. <laughs> I go on some podcasts. Like, I am obsessed about product growth. I'm crazy. <laughs> no, that was great, Chip. You give us that great overview. And now I'm curious like, to dig into some of the differences between, let's say, that company you were talking about, where it's like 50 mil to 100 mil, they like have very low marketing maturity versus maybe like the example of Wild Apricot, like you got to 20 million ARR and there was no sales team. What were some of the biggest differences when it relates to like marketing for uh, some of the 
Yeah. So when you start, when you look at any B2B company or SaaS company in general, like you could probably plot them along a spectrum of marketing maturity. So I like to think about it as almost five stages. One is it's like a new go to market or a new startup. And it's usually founder led marketing. There's zero marketing investment and very little marketing activity happening. Maybe there's a a newsletter going out or the founder is reaching out and maybe creating some blog posts, but it's very minimal. Layer two or or level two of sophistication is a sales-led go-to-market. And this is most B2B companies. This is where sales is the primary revenue driver and marketing is basically a support function. So if you look at the percentage of pipeline that's being generated, in these instances, marketing is usually less than 10% of the pipeline that's coming in the door. And activities are restricted to the more traditional uh, functions, such as sales enablement, product marketing, trade shows and events. Those three probably eat up the bulk of the marketing budget. Third level would be what I would call a nascent marketing organization. This is where usually marketing investment is less than 500,000. Marketing team is one to three people. And the amount of generated pipeline, you're looking at less than 20%. Here, you're starting to do a little bit more activity. Maybe you're a little bit more involved in outreach efforts and outbound efforts and maybe creating more content. Maybe you're doing webinars. But at the same time, it's still not sophisticated enough where marketing is driving a big chunk of the pipeline that you need to hit your sales projections. Fourth is you have some marketing maturity, and this is where maybe your pipeline generation is north of 20, but probably less than 40%. Maybe your marketing team is now less than 10 people, but you're doing some product marketing, some content, you have some demand gen going, maybe you're doing some ABM, but you're still in early stages of all those different areas. And then the last is like a level five sophisticated organization where marketing contribution can be, you know, 40 to 70 or 80% plus, depending on the type of business it is. The marketing team is definitely larger than 10 people. And you have multiple sophisticated functions within the marketing org where we have a dedicated demand gen leader. Maybe you're spending a ton on paid media. Maybe you're creating a ton of content. Maybe you're really good at SEO, depending on your business. And, and the pipeline that's coming in through marketing is either the majority of the contribution of pipeline coming from all sources or at least like 50-ish percent where you know that it has a significant seat at the table. Most companies, like I mentioned, fit in that sales-led bucket. And so what you want to do is you want to actually increase your sophistication over time so that you're more likely to hit your sales projections. Salesforce did a study. They do they do a state of sales report like every year, basically. And they found that more than 50% of sales reps miss their revenue targets and quotas every single year. And one way to think about that is that the sales rep is not working hard enough. The other way to think about that is that there's just not enough pipeline. So if you, the sales rep is in charge of self-generating pipeline and doing BDR and SDR work to actually generate the pipeline, then odds are that a bulk of your sales reps are actually going to fail because they just don't have enough leads coming in the door to actually nurture them through to close. And so the solution is kind of a like a diametric solution, right? It's not actually more sales. It's actually better marketing, better messaging, better distribution, better content and better demand gen. And so that's kind of the, the shift that a lot of these companies need to make. Awesome. And so I know like for today, the focus is really for everybody who's listening, like you're going to learn how to build a self-serve engine engine. And so what I thought would be really fun for both of us to kind of dig into is I'm going to pick two revenue ranges as we're going to do this for two types of different companies. And you're going to walk us through, like imagine you just got hired the first maybe 30 to 90 days, what would be some of the things you would do to actually build out that self-serve dimension engine? So the first revenue bucket, it's a company that's, let's say around 100K ARR. 
and they're trying to get to 1 million. That's where they're at right now. It's still, they got some traction, but you know, it's, it's just a hundred kit, but it's something. And so how would you go about this process right now to get them to the 1 million mark? Yeah, that's a great question. So before to answer that, you kind of have to think about the specific context of the business, right? So thinking about, are they a, a low ACV business or a high ACV business? Let's say low. Low. Okay. So if we're assuming, let's say sub 5K, yeah. So yeah, sub sub 1,000 1, even in, in, in a lot of those cases, right? So given that constraint, you know, on average, a customer is worth somewhere between, you know, $500 on one type of pricing plan to maybe like $2,000 on your higher pricing plans uh, per year. And even if you have some sort of land and expand strategy or their seed expansion or whatever, in general, you're not making a whole lot more than that per customer. So that heavily constricts what channels are actually available to you to actually grow that business uh, if you want to keep your cost of acquisition in check. So a very healthy benchmark for companies to think about is you want to break even in your CAC in 12 months. So from that perspective, if a customer is, let's say, worth 1000 to us, that's the most amount of money we should be spending per customer to acquire them, to bring them in the door. If we have a free trial, right, let's say our free trials convert from free to paid at somewhere around the 10% mark, that means one out of every 10 trials becomes a paid customer. And so now we know that we can only spend $100 per trial to stay within that CAC range and still have healthy unit economics. And that becomes that becomes a, the North Star metric that we need to look at in terms of all the different channels and campaigns that are available to us and then decide, OK, how do I how do I want to invest the limited marketing dollars that we have to get from where we are, which is, let's say, 100,000 in AR to a million at 100,000 in AR, you don't have a lot of marketing budget to work with, right? If you've raised some money, maybe you have a few hundred thousand dollars to work with. But if you haven't raised money, then you don't really have a lot of marketing capital in order to get there, right? So let's say you've raised some money uh, and you have, let's say, $200,000 marketing budget. But really, the company's in total maybe raised $1.5 million. So you're not going to get much more than that in order to get to that point. So with that limited budget, you can't blow it all on pay- paid media either because you need to have headcount to fulfill uh, all the tasks and projects that you need to run for marketing. And then you actually have to fund the campaign. So very quickly, the channels that become applicable to where you are are limited to things like content, like SEO, like product marketing, and focusing on paid media channels where you can be pretty efficient. And then there's some outside channels that depending on your specific business model, maybe partnerships can be a, a, a interesting go-to-market for you. Or you're looking at some type of another another referral medium where maybe customers are are bringing in prospects to you through a product led type of motion. So let's, let's remove the partner and the product side out of it for a second. With what's left over, you have to get really good at acquiring customers on the paid media, SEO, and the content side in order to improve your conversion rate. So just from that alone, the priorities that the team would need to really focus on is have a very dialed in website optimized for conversion, optimized for the keywords and things like that, that your business is actually built to to serve. And then from there, the campaigns that you're running, you're running that on paid search, on paid social, and you're keeping a very close eye on, on your unit economics. So this is where you're looking at your like high level paid media metrics, like cost per click and conversion rates and, and, and CPAs and all of that. And then also you're working your way all the way through to close one at a channel 
and, and campaign level to see if those numbers actually hold for you so you can figure out which ones you want to scale up and down with the limited budget you have. The other framework that's worth noting here is ACV becomes like the first governing dynamic in, in these instances. But the second one that I'd like to sh- explain to companies is something that we called our hot, warm, cold framework, which is you want to start off with the channels and campaigns where customers are most ready to buy and work your way backwards from that. So, for example, everybody wants to launch a podcast because right now dark social and things like that are the cool buzzwords out there. While those things are important and depending on the stage of company, you do want to do those things. The earlier you are in your journey, the more you know you want to be almost very straight line towards your objective. So there are X number of prospects that are looking for a solution in a particular vertical or space today. And so you want to be in front of those people because they're most ready to buy. They're like in a consideration window. And you want to work your way backwards from someone who's in a consideration window to maybe they're somewhat aware to unaware entirely. And so if you start, let's say, in the unaware column, your cost of acquisition is just going to be way too high and and you're going to waste a lot of your marketing budget. So thinking about it from that lens, every channel like paid media or SEO or content or whatever you're looking at, you want to start with the campaigns that are getting in front of the people that are most ready to buy. And that would be things like late funnel keywords, retargeting campaigns in front of people that are already on your website or or targeting prospects that have maybe attended a webinar or engaged with you in some way and working them through your funnel before you get to someone who's never interacted with your business in the first place. As you start testing and experimenting, you're going to find one or two things that works really well. And one or two things is really all you need in order to scale from 100K to 1 million-ish. And so if you just kind of repeat that process over and over again, you're going to get to that 1 million mark. And then from there, the answer starts to change a little bit as you have more options available to you in terms of budget. That was awesome. I want to recap some of the points because I, I loved that quick overview. So first, it sounds like start off with the ACV. So that kind of gives you a lot of the next answers or at least clarify some things regarding the channels. So it's like, okay, maybe trade shows aren't the right approach. Get, cross that off. Organic content, that makes sense in that kind of ACV bucket. And then I loved your focus on like break even in 12 months. Just keep that as a rule. So it's like, if you can't do it, don't kind of consider that channel. Or at least that's your customer acquisition cost is what you're referring to. And then, yeah, make sure like at that range, like you have your website is optimized, dialed in. I love your quote. I quoted it. Built to serve. <laughs> Get that website ready to go. And then also move down into like the hot, warm, cold kind of series. Of, like where are people and not kind of bucket and obviously kind of prioritize the channels and areas where you can get more of those hot and warm ones versus just going out cold. Yeah, exactly. And like the the lower your ACV is, the more exact you have to be in terms of your targeting because it's so easy to waste marketing dollars going after bad fit leads. Whereas like, let's say if you have an enterprise deal of like $500,000, you get a lot of chances to be wrong because all it takes is one deal to wipe out a bunch of mistakes, right? So whereas when, if your average deal size is like a thousand, well, you're going to waste a ton of CAC every time you get things wrong, right? So that's a, that's a really big aspect of it. And that's another thing that marketers should focus on. Like in our example, I mentioned like 
the assumption that let's say your free trials are converting at a 10% rate, I would say marketers and companies like that should be heavily involved post free trial to improve those conversion rates. Like what there's to increase that free trial conversion rate from one out of 10 to one out of five, that's a game changer in terms of how much you can spend on the front end. So really understanding which verticals or segments or types of customers actually do have a higher conversion rate from free trial to paid. And then using that feedback loop, like you should be checking with your product person looking at trials every day, looking at your upgrades every day and saying which ones are actually converting better. And then you feed that back in your demand gen engine saying these campaigns actually did bring the right segments of customers. We want to dial those ones up. And then the ones that either don't convert or convert and churn too early, like churn data is also just as important. You want to feed that back in your demand gen efforts so that you're actually bringing the right fit uh, leads into the in, in the door as well. Awesome. I love it. Now for the second kind of bucket of company, this company is right now they're at 1 million annual track revenue. And their whole goal is like, we want to 10x, we want to go to eight figures and kind of do that. How would you approach this differently? I imagine like there's some similarities for sure regarding the role of HQ and different things, but I'm curious to hear how you would build that self-service demand gen engine. Yeah, well, I think it's, uh, in a situation like that, even if we assume like a similar ACV, you want to start with those same fundamentals. But the, the way the answer changes is that you have to think about the problem in a few dimensions. So I'd say dimension one is thinking about what additional channels and programs can be layered on top of what's already working. And, and that brings in a certain new layer of customers in the door. Um, and so that might be, for example, if you're if you're doing well with with paid media, it could be that you're doing well on just search and you want to layer on maybe directories, maybe you want to layer on social, uh, maybe you want to uh, uh, add in things like Reddit or, or other platforms that can increase the number of places where campaigns are running and that gives you more exposure. Uh, layer two would be to increase the number of or types of segments that you're going after. So if, let's say, um, when, when we're building one opera as, as an example, we were t- uh, targeting nonprofits. But within nonprofits, there are a ton of different types of nonprofits. You have like your professional associations, you have charities, you have foundations, you have sports clubs. And slowly over time, we targeted more and more verticals. And by the end of it, we had about... I'd say 50 to 100 verticals that were actually a good fit for our software. And so this is where product and marketing to work closer together to expand the TAM that you're kind of going after because your initial TAM of getting to 1 million would be like a more tightly defined ICP. But as you want to expand, you kind of have to find adjacencies to go after different segments and your product can likely serve adjacent segments anyways with what it's capable of. And then you, you target your marketing accordingly with that. So I'd say the segment or the, or the, or the verticals that you're going after and targeting your campaigns to that is super important. The third is up market or down market. And I'd say that depending on the business, this is definitely possible. A good example would be like a company like Dooley or Scratchpad. Like if you look at these guys, like they, provide almost like a sales enablement tool for sales note-taking. And inevitably, over time, their target prospect has involved get going more inbound and getting people that are more interested in just taking some sales notes with their sales force as a singular rep. But they also have an enterprise motion to capture entire sales organizations, right? So even though you have a low ACV with the number of seats, 
you should have a plan to go after larger segments and larger accounts and and whatever the plan is to actually close those types of accounts, which is not entirely a self-serve motion, but going up market is very important, especially when you have that type of a product where there's scale there and there's there is TAM available there. Um, and, and I think between those three, there's a ton of work to be done within marketing and on the targeting side and on the free trial to close or, or MQL to close area that you kind of are, there's a lot of rinse and repeat work, right? Once you find something that works, you scale it, you track things that are working. If, if something's not working, you scale the budget down, you reallocate it to, to what is working. So that's the, that's the adjustment that I would make. It's almost like a shift in mentality. And then as you get to 10 million, other sets of opportunities open up where you're now thinking about what are product adjacencies or cross-sell and upsell opportunities that now we can uh, offer to the same group of customers that we are already serving. And so that becomes an entirely different type of growth route. Um, as an example, from Wild Apricot, we got to 10 million and we uncovered that we were processing about $300 million in payments uh, through our platform. Uh, and so the natural thing to do was to launch our own payment processor. And that ended up, we ended up taking a cut of that and that became an entirely new business uh, line of revenue for us. And so that's an example that's very different from when you're at the 1 million where you don't even have time to think about something like that. Uh, but at 10 million, you can think about things like that. And as you get bigger and bigger, then things like M&A become more important because now your, your path to actually scale is actually inorganically and finding other customers and things like that. So that's kind of how I would think about it in phases. In, and on that one to 10, you still want to stay within your core business. So you know what your core business is. You just expand the channels and the segments and maybe up market, down market to capture more of the, of the TAM that's out there. Yeah. And I remember, I think it was like a year or two and we were talking about business and stuff. You recommended the book, like Posture from the Core. Such a simple book, it's dense, but I got the concepts. <laughs> and it's, it's really important, I think, especially at that stage. It's like, what is your core product? focus on the core, max it out, and that you can start to get about some of these other like adjacency opportunities. And I know when I haven't followed that in my business, that's when things like went to crap. And then when I do focus on the core, it's like, hey, this is like, it's easier to scale this business. And so it's kind of recap from one mil to 10. Uh, it sounds like uh, really focused on like more kind of, of those marketing channels. What are those next potential good areas to attract those users and signups and then really just focusing on different segments, verticals, and then kind of make that decision. Like, do you want to go more up market, down market? What does that look like? But all while focusing on that core business. Anything else you kind of add to that 1010 range? No, I would say it's really nailing down the efficiency within those, right? So just to bring the example to life, we've, we've seen a ton of companies within this range, like company might be doing 3 million or 5 million or 6 million. They're like, we need to get to 20 or 30 in the next few years. That's our goal set by the board or whatever. And we'll come in and do like a full audit of their business and we'll find a ton of inefficiency in their spend because they don't really fully analyze the end-to-end funnel impact of where their marketing spend is going. And then when you kind of optimize that spend and then you allocate it to just expanding the channels where they are or scaling areas that are already working or finding additional segments where their product can already serve the the target customer, that opens up a ton of opportunity, right? So getting to 10 is 
really about finding more places to repeat the things that you know that you do well already. And, and the marketing's job then is to nail down your messaging, your distribution, your content, your website, your programs, all of that stuff, and doing it over and over again at a, at a higher scale and, and, a, and a higher budget levels to make sure that it's working efficiently. Definitely. And so let's say that like you're hired on, you're the team of that business that's trying to go from one to 10. Like, what exactly does your like perfect week look like? Because you mentioned this a couple of times. I want to see like if you have like a framework or a way of thinking about it, but you're very methodical about like every day I check the sign that I've recently paid, I check the Google charts, and I'm just feeding that back into your demand and kind of like learning engine. Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I think at a CMO level, the job is a little different than let's say if you're like a head of paid media or director of demand gen. Like when I was doing this at Wild Apricot, slowly it became about building the right team. And I think that that's a big part that's missing inside companies is even if you have a good VP of marketing, maybe they're not a good technical marketer. And so when it comes time to actually execute on the plan, like there are marketers that are very good at positioning and there's some marketers that are good at like just paid media. And it's really hard to find a leader that can bring together all the right functions for the right strategy of the business. So I, I can give you an example of a mistake. Like initially in the early days of Wild Apricot, I thought our answer was actually building a sales team. And so I did the whole BDR SDR thing in the early days, not fully understanding that our ACV was too low for that model. That's actually one of the ways in which I've developed some of these this thinking and the frameworks that went in the book and the business and all of that is I've made a lot of those mistakes. And learning through that, it became clear to me that the people that I actually need to hire, because before I hired like a like a head of business development, we hired sales reps and we had a different organization. And then when we realized for our ACV that the strategy needs to look very different, the team changed that I had a content that is incredibly talented, had a head of paid media that was very talented, had a head of SEO that was very talented. And then our weekly cadence was making sure that we're scaling paid media, running a ton of content, writing a ton of content, having freelancers and internal staff that's scaling that, having an ongoing website optimization function with our developer and designer and everything. And then my job became more about doing the one-on-ones and the, and the team meetings and all of that. So that shift, I think, needs to happen somewhere in that journey where Around 1 million, you're like the doer and the planner. And at some point, you have to kind of shift to being the leader and leading the, the entire function. And that probably happens around 3 to 4 million mark. And as it relates to building a good team, I'm reading between the lines here, but like you mentioned, like you hired like your head of content, yeah. SEO, aid, BDF. Were you basically just like staffing the like heads up, each of those grinds for each of the like core channels in the business that right? Yeah, yeah. Slowly, it's almost like I would validate a particular area through my own effort. And then as we started to prove it out more, made the business case to hire someone to lead it. And then that person would lead it. So slowly, slowly, I had that team built out, but it took a couple of years to get all the people in the right seats. We had a couple of false starts, hired the wrong people, you know, but once the right leaders are in the right seats, then it's, it becomes a lot easier to grow because you can be, they're doing that aspect of actually making sure that you're going through all the projects and checking all the metrics and all of that, but then it kind of all rolls up into an overall plan for what you have for marketing. Awesome. And as we kind of wrap up here, is there any other kind of like takeaways, hard lessons learned when it comes to building a self-serve demand engine that you want people to kind of walk away thinking about? Well, I would just say it's, it's the process that people put into their business. So when I, you try to explain this concept of sophistication or when we come across companies, companies in general, 
want to grow their revenue faster like today or yesterday, right? It's always a priority yesterday. And in order to get this right, there's actually a certain amount of time that goes into setting up the right foundation. And the foundation comes in many different ways, right? It could be your product marketing and your messaging stack. Like, do you have the right value props? Do you have the right differentiators? Are you are you saying the right things? Do you have the, your personas identified and the buyer journeys? It could be your website and the journeys that you have built out through there. Do you have the right web pages? And, and the right entry points for those different prospects that we've identified. It could be your revenue ops infrastructure. Are you tracking the right metrics? Do you know what's working and what's not working? If you spend more money on something, would you be able to tell me whether it's effective or not? And so that's layer one. And you really need to have that dialed in before you move on to things like what's the right strategy? And the strategy in terms of like which channels are we going to invest into, what fits with our ACV and our model, which campaigns likely should we prioritize over other ones, which programs or, or which prospects do we want to target first, which verticals. And then from there, what are we doing inside our demand gen or, or paid media roadmap? What are we doing with, with content or SEO or thought leadership or product marketing or, or all of those different areas and in terms of what we're producing out there? And then the layer three is about resourcing. So and resourcing is... Do we have the right people to actually execute on these plans? And I would say that's a big mistake. Usually it's like you have the wrong person in the wrong seat, so it's never going to really happen. And so making sure you have the right product or the right organization to do that work. And then from there, it's do they are they empowered with the right budget from a resourcing standpoint? Because let's say your revenue target for next year is to add two million in new bookings. Do you have the right amount of marketing budget to be able to generate that? Because you need a certain amount of leads or trials or, or MQLs to be able to hit that budget. And everything costs money, right? Every trial costs a certain amount of dollars. Every MQL costs a certain amount of dollars. So have you done that math backwards to know that you're generating the right amount of support required to hit those targets? Because otherwise, you're going to miss those targets no matter what you do. You could have the smartest person in the room. If they don't have enough budget, you're going to miss it. So I'd say that's kind of how you, you cascade your way up to actually eventually getting to revenue growth. And that plan needs to be fully understood by the entire leadership team, not just like the CMO or the VP of marketing, but it needs to be understood by the CEO. It needs to be understood by the board. And that's a really important role that the CEO has and the CMO have together. They have to educate everybody around them to say, this is this journey is going to take us three, four months or six months. By that point, we'll be at this this milestone. And from there, here's how we're going to see leads ramp up or or pipeline ramp up. And, and that's how we're going to get to our revenue targets. So just having that discipline that starts with data and, and having the patience to actually see it through. Uh, just dropping the value bonds. Last question. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, so, so where can people learn more about you? I know there's how to SaaS, that stuff where you are. I also know LinkedIn, you're super active. You have this title uh, for these great graphics that summarize so much great marketing. Yeah, I think LinkedIn is probably a good place to follow. If you want to follow me, it's at, I think slash Shivan22 or um, check us out on the website, howtosass.com or, or, or just go get my book. It's called Post Acquisition Marketing. I think all three of those are good entry points to, to get the conversation going. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Chip. I appreciate it, Wes. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Product-Led Podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with a colleague or friends you know who might benefit. 
We are always looking at which episodes get the most listens so we know which content to create more of. So if you want more of this particular type of content or style of episode, please share it out. And in return, here's your selfish reason to do this. Uh, we will definitely create more content just like this episode. <laughs> and if that's not your style, please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts and tell us your favorite part about this podcast. I personally read every single one of these reviews and it gives me more ideas on what content we should do more of. Happy growing.